Brian. Welcome to our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. This is season two, episode four, and we've kind of come full circle at this point to back to the topic of codependency itself. So this episode entitled Healing Codependency, Breaking the Powerlessness Habit, we are going to discuss the specific behaviors, again, that make up the phenomena of codependency, behavior habits that form in response to trauma, abuse, or neglect, and how you are trying to break those codependent behavior habits. Right. For me, those behaviors were formed in response to that five-year childhood friendship that we talked about several times throughout this series from when I was about four years old to when I was about 10 and uh, how those behaviors were reinforced or really kind of amplified by my family dynamic, specifically my dad's behavior. And then as you moved into adulthood, you brought those behaviors into pretty much every interpersonal relationship you had. Mm -hmm. You would assume responsibility for meeting other people's needs to the exclusion of acknowledging your own needs or feelings. And when the other person had a disordered personality, for instance, a narcissist or narcissistic tendencies, it had especially disastrous results. Yeah. And although, you know, even when I was trying to relate to so-called healthy people, the behaviors didn't really serve me well then either. So let's go back to episode one of season one. Mm Mm-hmm. That list of behaviors that you read out in that very first episode that form this phenomena of codependency. Yeah, okay. There is the feeling of responsibility for the emotions and actions of others. There's caretaking, people-pleasing, struggling to set boundaries with other people. There's low self-esteem and self-worth, usually kind of a denial of autonomy or even identity. There's a trouble expressing emotions, kind of a fear of emotions, really. Or again, it's kind of back to this denial of autonomy. Denial of emotional autonomy. Emotional autonomy in this, in this case, yeah. And then there's denying big picture or even situational problems. Like, so there, there's where the storytelling and the dishonesty and compartmentalization come in. And then finally, enmeshment in relationships with personality disordered, chemically dependent, or other codependent, or really impulse disordered individuals. So people who trigger all these above behaviors, or at least somehow don't challenge them when I come in contact with these people. Hearing that list again, it strikes me that the previous three episodes of this season, so the first three episodes of this season, really dealt with what you did to address the last four Mm -hmm. items on that list. So that's, again, um, low self-esteem, like denial of identity, trouble expressing emotions, fear of emotions, denying big picture, you know, which involved, as you said, storytelling and formalization, and then enmeshment in relationships. So these first three episodes, we talked about how you recognized and removed yourself from abusive relationships, how you repaired your emotional system and got over your fear of certain emotions and reconnected to your emotions, and then how you rewrote the stories that were keeping you in denial and keeping you enmeshed, really, with disordered people, even when they weren't in your life anymore. Yeah, so that kind of lays the groundwork for the healing, really, Mm -hmm. more or less. But then what we're left with here is really the first four items on this list. So let me read these again. The feeling responsible for the emotions and actions of others, caretaking, 
people-pleasing, and struggling to set boundaries. These kind of need require a different approach than, than what we talked about in these first few episodes. In that they were unconscious, habitual responses yeah. that you had to other people. Mm-hmm. And again, when those people were narcissists or other disordered people, they immediately exploited those tendencies. I want to go back to something we talked about in the first episode of the whole series, the word codependency itself as a kind of problematic word. Mm -hmm. As we said, coming out of addiction literature, so you had people who were seen as chemically dependent or alcohol dependent, and then people who were in relationship with them and were enablers of them, Mm -hmm. were caretaking them. They were seen as codependents. Right, kind of like as if these people became dependent on the caretaking itself. And and really that's all it came down to in that early description of what codependency was. So so some of the issues are that the word dependency suggests a need. And then addiction, we often see the word addiction and use that word as kind of proxy for intense craving or desire, right? Mm -hmm. And neither of those were really applicable in your case. In your case, you were replaying that original abusive relationship. Right, yeah. It it isn't really accurate for me to say that I was addicted to these types of relationships or even that I was somehow attracted to these type of people. Like, like I think this is a common thing that people say in response to codependent people. What it came down to for me was that because of my lack of self-awareness, anytime a person came along that basically triggered my trauma responses and or activated my codependent behaviors... I would just lean into those behaviors because I would become overwhelmed by the subconscious responses. So those behaviors would take over and I would put all my efforts into essentially taking care of those people at whatever cost because, as you said, I was replaying the G relationship. In this habitual, unconscious way. Yeah. We had a whole episode on shame because it was so central to keeping you stuck, replaying that relationship. And it is one of the most painful emotions. Mm -hmm. And I guess powerlessness is not technically an emotion, but feeling powerless is super painful in that it creates a whole cluster of these painful emotions. Yeah. You know, fear possibly being the primary one. It's really terrifying to feel powerless. Right. Uh, but it can also generate shame and despair, all of these debilitating emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's potentially at the root of what makes an unpleasant or awful event into a traumatic event, that feeling of powerlessness in the face of what had happened. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely felt powerless in that childhood friendship. And then the echoes of that powerlessness kind of just took over from there and it just infected everything from there forward. And these behaviors, the caretaking, the people-pleasing, were this effort to get out of this terrifying powerlessness state yeah so habits even benign ones are hard to break yeah right but you're faced with breaking these behavior habits that were so critical in making yourself feel safe as this young child Mm -hmm. in this powerless situation so how do you stop doing these behaviors when for so long they were a source of a sense of safety for yourself. Mm-hmm. Seemingly, anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, one of the, the big things that we've mentioned several times throughout this series is this idea of 
personal agency. Yes. So being tied to personal power. Mm -hmm. These two concepts go very closely together. If you have a sense of agency, you have a sense of personal power. You have a sense that you can enact changes in the world. Yeah, that, so it, that you desire. Right. It go it really goes hand in hand with regaining power. So this feeling, pervasive feeling of powerlessness that I felt all those years, becoming an an agent, as we call it, is regaining that power. So the idea of becoming an agent involves several things. It it isn't just a matter of, oh, suddenly I feel powerful. You mm-hmm. know, it requires first self awareness, like who am I? There needs to be an agent there yeah, <laughs> to you feel need to, powerful. Yeah, you need to be able to identify what the agent is. What are my values? What are my core values that really I, I had been denying myself for so long, just kind of ignoring them, you know, because I felt like I had no power to really enact or work towards my values. And then what types of relationships do I want? What, what kind of people do I want to be involved with? You know, not just romantically, but just in general. Like, who do I want to associate with? And then... Following that, what are my emotions telling me then? So part what we talked about in one of the first three episodes here is being able to read the signals that my emotions are giving me. But I need to know who I am to know what those signals are. Otherwise, like I don't if I feel angry, great, I'm identifying that I feel angry. But what am I angry at? Why am I angry? I mm-hmm. need to know what it is that I'm supposed to be acting on here. So one of the things you have done to break this powerlessness habit is to think about who you are and mm-hmm. what you want from your life, what you want from relationships, and to articulate that consciously and repeatedly to yourself and to the people in your life. Yeah, and just kind of keep that in mind, like sort of not not like I have to keep telling myself, like reading it every morning or something, but just kind of just living it, feeling it. Although for a while you had your kind of you had your, <laughs> your core values posted above your desk just mm-hmm. to kind of be a reminder that you were a person that wanted to act have both have values and act on values which is an agent in the world (laughs) right because that that's that is reprogramming my habit of not having them or ignoring them so yeah kind of getting used to having it in the back of my mind at all times but even with that there are these habitual behaviors that you bring into relationships including our relationship again coming from this posture of powerlessness yeah that was imposed upon you when you were a child, but then continued forward in mm-hmm. all of your relationships. So almost really in every relationship, professional, personal, yep. social, yep. your default posture would be the other person is more powerful than I am. Yeah. The more work we did in all of this, the more painfully obvious that became with so many different things. So let's talk about one way in which that powerlessness is expressed in your relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's this curious phenomenon we identified as matching, the need to match. Right. What we're talking about with matching here is is not like, oh, I want to wear a similar outfit or something like that. It's... it's, But kind (laughs) of. I mean, it can. It can mean that. But really, it's like matching to the core. Like, I feel this kind of anxiety if... I don't match someone's emotions even, you know, Mm -hmm. so somebody could be expressing anger or something. And then like, I just get sucked into it in a way. And immediately that becomes the most important thing. So I'm matching it. If someone's sad, I match their sadness. Mm -hmm. If someone's happy, I match their happiness, even Mm -hmm. if I don't understand why they're happy. And I think this is a very human trait where, you know, we're extremely social animals Mm -hmm. and all of us get a little uncomfortable if we don't 
match a group of people. Yeah. So you think about, say, if you walk into a room and everyone's dressed in tuxedos and ball gowns and you have ratty t-shirt and shorts on you're going to feel uncomfortable right right. because you don't match you're not sure you're not sure what's going on so i mean there's you know there's quite a bit of actually psychological research that that shows the extent that people will go to kind of match a group right but with you it kind of went to the pathological yeah so that you can get anxious say if you don't like a movie Mm -hmm. that the person you're with likes yeah or someone's wearing long pants and you're wearing shorts. So it's yeah, just it's yeah. just a it's it has been a musical taste. You know, I'll, I'll match that. You know, right. I have I have plenty of my own autonomy and what I like. But it, it, when it comes to trying to match up with someone else, like oh, I'll stop listening to certain things permanently right. to, to match the other person. You have right. I have yeah. Like you said, you had this level of anxiety, so mm-hmm. this habitual anxious response. Yeah to a seemingly disconnect between any person that you're yeah. talking to or involved with. And, and this kind of, it, what, one thing that I think about here is, is with a lot of these behaviors, like we've talked about several times is there's, there's usually a healthy version of it. And I would say a healthy version of this matching would be empathy, mm-hmm. you know, so feeling and relating to someone, Absolutely, yeah. you know, someone's sad, you may feel sad mm-hmm. for that person yeah. or something. Right. Empathy is so critical to, relationships and social situations but you weren't in fact experiencing empathy it was more about just trying to get close to whoever was in power yeah yeah line myself with the person to to try to keep myself safe right and there's kind of a somewhat funny way that this has shown up in our relationship Mm -hmm. where i have a tendency to start sentences and then pause in the middle of them we've spared the listeners of this podcast that experience by taking out some of those pauses but so i'll do that and you rush in and finish my sentence yeah right and so and so what's funny about it is it's not necessarily the fact that i'm finishing sentences i mean that's i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to keep conversation going you know but what we found to be problematic is the way i finish sentences the the context of it like the matching the finishing sentences thing is definitely anxiety and trauma based. It's as if I'm anticipating disagreement or something. Like I, so I'm kind of trying to preemptively line myself up. Right. So the, it's it's a version of the matching thing. So you'll be starting to say something and I think I know where you're going with what you're saying. I might not agree with it, but I'm going to try to line myself up with it anyway. Like or I can tell that maybe I think you're going to disagree with something that I'm about to say or something. So I would step in and finish your sentence is completely wrong. That's not actually what you were going to say at all. But I'm just trying to like set myself up to to be in line with you, right? Essentially, with right. with these finishing sentences. So it's both the kind of volume you have done it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seemed a little excessive, but then also, as you say, it became most obvious when maybe we were having a disagreement about where to go for lunch. Mm-hmm. And I start to express an agreement with your point of view. Yes. Why don't we just go to lunch where you want to? And I'll start that sentence. Why don't we just, and you'll finish it, go to lunch where you want to. (laughs) Right. Or stay home or something. You know, just like the opposite of what I was thinking, basically. Yeah. As you said, trying to kind of preemptively line yourself up with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the way that you have tried to break that habit is to do the things that people do to break habits in, in that notice when it's happening. Yeah. So notice when it's happening, not just necessarily, I'm not 
necessarily trying to completely stop finishing sentences, but I want to see what the context is. I want to, I want to, I need to check myself on, on wh- what is my motivation for finishing the sentence. Yeah. And you could stop finishing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately that would be. I'll get there. Yeah. To, I'll finish my sentences yeah. eventually. Most of the time. <laughs> right. It's okay to have pauses in a room. It doesn't have to cause anxiety. Yeah. Right. So noticing when it happens and I pointed out too, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's fun for you. And then thinking about is it coming from anxiety? Is it coming because you actually, we do match in that case. And then it's just an authentic expression of what you want. Or just yeah, it's really, it's kind of a, a smaller scale trauma response, really, mm-hmm. I think, because I, I was so used to being controlled mm-hmm. and my, my point of view or my wants and desires being ignored or even uh being abused for those ones and ridiculed and and shamed yeah so i'm just kind of habitually assuming that you're going to disagree with me or that you're going to somehow abuse me for my point of view and you've also tried to practice not matching right so again if we go out and i'm a little dressed up Mm -hmm. but you hadn't planned on dressing up you decide just to wear what you planned you know just to get the t-shirt on right (laughs) and and again get more comfortable with that Mm-hmm. with that experience. So similarly, there's been this people-pleasing habit, show the need to be liked, or at least not to be disliked. Yeah, again, a habitual response to an early experience with someone that demanded obedience. And you needed to please him in order to keep yourself safe. Yeah, and then from there forward, assume that I had to do that with everyone, more or less, Yeah, to, so that they wouldn't dislike me or abuse me or whatever I was feeling was going to happen. People pleasing for you was kind of compliance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how it was expressed. It can really be expressed in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Though, again, kind of like matching, we all have an impulse to please the people that we're with. Yeah. And that we're around. Like, in fact, I remember reading about one study that was done with people who maintained they did not care what other people thought of them. Oh, (laughs) right. Like they had, you know, no, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy with myself. I don't care at all. They put each of these people in a room and kind of hooked them up to devices that, that measured their physiological responses, mm-hmm. so their heart rate and their sweating. And then they had someone looking at the people and talking about them in a negative way. Okay. You know, oh my, that guy's wearing a stupid shirt and like she looks in, like an idiot and stuff like that. And, the, and this was a stranger. Mm-hmm. And even the people who were adamant that they did not care what other people th- thought their physiological response showed otherwise. Yeah. So their sure. heart rate would increase. Mm-hmm. Their sweat glands would open up. Yeah. They would become kind of anxious or angry. Yeah. Even when rationally they were committed to the idea that what other people thought of them didn't matter. Yeah, so we're sense. wired to want to please other people. Yeah, which makes sense. For going back to evolution again, it be, mm-hmm. being a, a, a species that cooperates at the core. And need each other to survive. Yeah. But again, that can be expressed in so many different ways. You're mm-hmm. really going to fall back on whatever your strengths are. Yeah. So you see a lot of people who are people-pleasing in a more overt way than you. So, you know, compliments, ex- you know, excessive compliments and yeah. and charm. People are using their strengths is mm-hmm. what, is what right. it seems to We're come saying, down to. Yeah. So for some people, people are good at complimenting other people and showing admiration and then that kind of becomes their go-to people-pleasing style Mm -hmm. and for me it seemed to be making people feel comfortable 
And there's nothing wrong with that. There's healthy versions of that. It's good to make people feel comfortable when when mm-hmm. they're made, they may be feeling anxious or for yeah, whatever that is reason. A strength, yeah. You know. But I found since that was my strength, that's what that's what I used. That was my go to people pleasing activity was was compliance more or less, you know, extreme compliance mm-hmm. where no matter how awful someone may be, right. I'm going to somehow make them feel as though they're okay. Yeah, right. You and know? the matching can be a part of that, right? Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. You match their styles. And so this was a habit, again, that you did in most of your relationships. And, and part of that is a struggle to say no. It's often how I got stuck in these awful friendships and relationships, too. I, I felt, remember feeling at the start of some of those friendships, like, hmm. I don't know about this. Like right. this person is not great, yeah, but you yeah. know, they're chasing me. They right. seem so to be, want, want to be your, friends with your me. First, so. The romantic relationships we talked yeah. about, for instance, you know, right. you had, you had from the beginning, some doubts about yeah, red flags mm-hmm. being abuse, being a big one. <laughs> so getting comfortable with people being displeased yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. Or that you just been the potential mm-hmm. of, of people being displeased. Mm-hmm. So the thought of it, mm-hmm. you know, the oh, thought man. of it makes you anxious. So it's not necessarily just confronting people. It's even allowing myself to have thoughts about things that someone else may disagree with. So, mm-hmm. you know, so here comes the preemptive lining myself up with people. So like the finishing sentences matching, it doesn't even have to be a specific interaction. It's mm-hmm. just kind of like, I'm just going to preemptively just always try to line myself up. So in order to break this habit, I've had to do several things that involve kind of checking myself on a regular basis. When I am interacting with someone, I have to kind of ask myself, who is this other person? How do I feel about them? Do I agree with them? Is this a person worth pleasing? Yeah. Is this person even worth pleasing? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And how do my values come into play here? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So if they are worth pleasing, so you want to eliminate off the top kind of all the people that you shouldn't be working to please. Yeah. Abuse people, narcissists, idiots. <laughs> yeah. And then, as you say, think about your own values, even mm-hmm. if the person is worth pleasing. Yeah. Just, uh, are you are you aligned in this in an authentic way with this person? And like so many of these healing steps, there's a lot of anxiety involved in that mm-hmm. because it's it's I get a lot of fear when I think about displeasing someone, no matter who it is. Mm-hmm. So having this kind of roadmap of being able to pause and think about these things diminishes that a little bit. I'm not just giving in to this fear and mm-hmm. just automatically, habitually lining myself up with someone and then feeling shame immediately afterwards, you know? And the unfortunate thing is that type of behavior does please people like narcissists, but it doesn't please healthy people in Mm -hmm. your life long term it's not a route to intimacy so what what i want from you is not for you always to agree with me for you always to be lying with me for for you to make sure that i'm never disappointed Mm -hmm. or displeased yeah what i want is to know you your authentic person Mm -hmm. and have an authentic connection Mm -hmm. so if i start to feel like you're just telling me what i want to hear because you're afraid that i might be displeased or disappointed Mm -hmm. well I can be disappointed. I mean, I can, I can handle that. <laughs> right, right. That's not a problem. I don't, uh-huh. what I don't want is I don't want to be lied to. Yeah. I mean, what, we want real actual dialogue. Mm-hmm. We real, honest, intimate dialogue. I mm-hmm. mean, otherwise, what's the point? But this is a habit. So yeah. again, it's not just a matter of realizing that you do it. You, it's a, you've had to keep practicing over and over again, getting comfortable. Yep. With disappointing or displeasing people yeah. in professional relationships as yeah. well. Yeah, work has actually been a really good practice for that mm-hmm. um, because 
I found that was kind of really my entry level, I think, uh, tests for a lot of these things because I don't have as high stakes with those relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to feel that way, you know, like, Oh my God, my whole job is on the line here. If I, if, if this I, person's annoyed with yeah, me. Yeah. So I can't, I can't make anyone displeased at my work, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, it's been a good training ground. And then, you know, I've kind of taken it steps further with like just all my relationships, including my family and just being more real <laughs> and more comfortable with other people having reactions that, mm-hmm. that might be difficult for them. Yeah. So this is very aligned with another habit that you're working on breaking, and Mm -hmm. that is the difficulty setting boundaries. This subject was one I really had to read a lot about because it's it's a it's a buzzword kind of like you see it everywhere. Boundaries, boundaries. And we're going to probably have a whole episode on boundaries probably in the the third season. yeah. Yeah, but really, what it comes down to is what do I find acceptable or unacceptable behavior in my interactions with people? Yeah, Yeah, towards towards me. Mm -hmm. Um, So having actual expectations of people and sticking to those expectations. If, if someone does something that I know is just, mm, nope, that's, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I need to know how to react to that. I, I need to feel as though I have enough power mm-hmm. to react the way I want to react. To enforce the boundaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's no point of having imaginary boundaries. Mm-hmm. There needs to be some sense of yeah, if you're never going to enforce them. If you're never going to enforce them. You know. Right. So it, I, I'm remembering, actually, we had a conversation kind of early in our relationship when I was hearing a lot about how you were treated by Jay and how you were treated by R, mm-hmm. where I, um, especially Jay, because you're still maintaining that that relationship was fine. Yeah, right. So, you know, I kind of asked that we both kind of write down or express what our expectations were in relationships in terms of mm-hmm. exactly yeah, what we're that. saying, how... Yeah. how how do you expect your partner to treat you? Yeah. And and most of what you said in terms of what you expected your partner to treat with treat you was not how Jay treated you. Right. I know. <laughs> so I was like, this sounds like an aspirational list. Like yeah, I'm talking yeah. about what's the like what what's your walkout? Yeah. List? What's your like, actual? What would have made you walk out of that relationship? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you couldn't express that because yeah. you didn't know how to stand on your boundary and say. Here, no further. Yeah. Like, I'm drawing a line, and if you cross this line, I'm out. That was a very early conversation, and I don't remember how it ended, but I was nowhere near where we are now. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it was just like, well, you know, I mean, I I try to get those things. Yeah, it was very much (laughs) Something like that, you know? But I didn't even do that, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I had no boundaries. I mean, that's that's what it came down to with a codependent person with a narcissist. Mm -hmm. That's often the case. It's, there's, I may think I have boundaries, but I'm never going to enforce them. Yeah, so they're meaningless. Yeah. Right. And it, this is another case where work has been a helpful practice ground for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, one of, the, one of the earliest times I can remember, I had there was this coworker that I didn't have a good relationship with. I never have, and a lot of people don't. Just her style of interacting with people is yeah, very kind of aggressive and abusive. Yeah, yeah, abusive, calling people up and yelling at right, them, throwing people under the bus, just yeah, not, yeah. all around not good. And conversations with her on the phone. Every time she called me, it was to somehow blame me for something, or or just like try to find blame, replace blame, or mm-hmm. you know. And it was never constructive. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to a point where I told her like uh, that. I mean, I had a very uncomfortable conversation where 
I more or less said, you know, I'm not going to have these phone calls with you anymore. So we're going to deal with things on email or we're not going to deal with them at all. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just, I, that's the way I'm going to, I'm going to handle this from here forward. Yeah. And that was, that was pretty big for you because yeah. she would almost call almost on a daily basis. Yeah. I think right. because you were the few people who took her calls. Yeah, I know. I think <laughs> and so. And you would get anxious right. to in her name. Yeah. And she started texting after that. <laughs> <laughs> But it was kind of, it was like, no, this, yeah, is, this was, is it. You're not allowed to talk. You can't treat me appropriately yeah. on the phone. You're not allowed to talk to me right. on the I'm phone I'm cutting anymore. you off mm -hmm. on the phone. I mean, it mm -hmm. sounds, it may sound bizarre because, you know, it's work. You should be able to talk to your coworkers actually, on the phone. It doesn't, actually, it doesn't, phone, it know, doesn't but, sound bizarre. But I mean, so it made me very uncomfortable because I was flooding myself with excuses and reasons why I shouldn't do this. And, mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and, but, and f this kind of anxiety about what the consequences might yeah. be and this fear of, power that she might have over you yeah. to, to to retaliate in some way yeah. Yeah. when really the only thing that happened well she tried to text but you yeah. didn't respond to those no. there's nothing happened she stopped calling you, you stopped yeah. having to take those calls right and and <laughs> it had no... the effect i hoped for mm -hmm. now we we're dealing with things but email we have records of it it's not accusatory or if it is accusatory I, there's other people on copy so with all of these things the only way to break the habits is to break the habit is to replace the habit with positive behavior mm-hmm so it's it's constantly checking myself. That that's really what what this episode comes down to is if I if I'm feeling off about something, check, pause, look at mm -hmm. it. Again, it's like the emotion thing. Where, where where are these feelings coming from? And the feelings usually are anxiety and fear. Yeah, you know these feelings that come out of the sense of powerlessness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's one more piece that is something that we have been very aware of on a daily basis these days, and and it's language. I found language to be a lot more powerful than I initially thought it was. It really kind of subconsciously directs my behaviors, I think, in, in a lot of cases. It's not just wordplay. If not directing your behavior, certainly reinforcing it. Right. Yeah. So there's so many different ways I've found that my language has kind of kept me stuck in, in codependent behaviors. We've identified a few examples. Yeah. How the sense of powerful, powerlessness comes out in some language behaviors. It just embeds itself in our conversations and mm -hmm. it comes out very regularly unless both of us kind of stay on top of it and monitor it. And But one of them, a big one being the overuse of the word we. Mm -hmm. So I have a tendency to use the word we in place of when I should otherwise be using I in a lot of cases, or right. even you and I, or mm -hmm. both of us, or mm -hmm. each of us, or something like that, right. where it's just, we liked that movie or something, you know? Exactly. So using we, if it's a shared activity, yeah. you know, you're reporting, we went to the yeah. mall because right. we went to the mall together. But you use it, as you said, to express thoughts and feelings even. Yeah. What and, we like or what we thought of something. Yeah, and, and sometimes it could be true that both of us liked something. Right. But it's not a good habit to say, we liked that. Just, to, again, to the extent that you did it. It went along with what we were saying earlier about the matching, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. because it, it's kind of, I was unconsciously coupling myself with someone to relieve the pressure of being an individual and having autonomy. Right, exactly. You know? So yeah. if I say, should we do this? You know, it's like, okay, I, I want you to tell me what we should do rather than I kind of want to do this. Would you like to do that too? Or what would you, what do you want to do or something? And that's connected to another one that we've noticed where you ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than make assertions. Mm -hmm. 
the example you just gave, where you could say, I'd like to go out for lunch. Would you like to go out for lunch? Yeah. You'll start with not the assertion of what you want. You'll start mm-hmm. with, should we go out yeah, for lunch? Should, Is this yeah. a good idea? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of a double two in one there, mm-hmm. right? So it's, I'm asking you, I have an idea, but rather than presenting it as idea, I want you to give the idea by asking you. But then also I'm throwing in we, should we go mm-hmm. out to lunch? Mm-hmm. You know, very passive mm-hmm. and, and very much not attached to the results too. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of preemptively, and sometimes I'll even throw in something at the end. I've heard a lot of people do this. Should we go to lunch or not? Right, you, you do, do that. That's like, true. Let's, let's throw in there, like, oh, just so you know, I'm okay if you say right. no here. Right. Like, I'm going to cover the whole, the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to say, I want to go to lunch. What about you? Mm-hmm. Because you may say no, and I go, oh, boy, and I'm, oh, no. I have to, what happened? We just disagreed on something. What, where mm-hmm. do I go from here, you know? So it does seem very connected to, well, the whole thing, matching, people-pleasing, that, that yeah. as you say, feeling uncomfortable standing separately as a separate yeah. individual. Yeah. There's also the language that everyone can fall into, this language of fatalism or defeatism. Yeah, yeah. Again, the world had to get me or... Yeah. Um, and like all of this, it's a question of degree. We all do this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but again you're trying to break that habit as well and, and trying not to use those phrases. For instance, you would say like, who knows a lot? And oh, right. Who knows? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's, it's un- everything's unknowable. Mm-hmm. But also if we go back, a, a call back to the, to the episode, the previous episode on stories, these stories that I had about myself, like I am uninteresting, I am unattractive, mm-hmm. kind of like carrying this, these definitive defeatist, mm-hmm terms for myself mm-hmm. or it could be like oh i'm not good at that so i'm not even going to try right because or or even like we've mentioned before also i am an alcoholic or something like that where it's just like you're you're labeling yourself in kind of this permanent way mm-hmm. and then you're kind of setting yourself up to be that mm-hmm. i'm uninteresting therefore i'm going to keep that in mind every time i come in contact with people and i'm just assuming that they have no interest in what i'm saying so i'm going to actually become an uninteresting so i'm going to be uninteresting <laughs> you're going to manifest that yeah right i mean it's it's it is self-fulfilling prophecy that language could lead to self-fulfilling prophecies we should mention too one linguistic habit that you yourself don't really do but i think a lot of people who are on the codependent spectrum or have you know have many of these codependent behaviors do and that is apologizing yeah right so that's very similar to these other habits that you have like preemptively aligning yourself with someone else preemptively taking responsibility yeah Yeah. (laughs) for the situation and for managing the situation and managing their emotions around that situation even before you even know if an apology is warranted right and a lot of times it isn't Mm -hmm. you know it's yeah this is a good one to mention here even though it, it for whatever reason, isn't one that I've used, Has a but strategy. it is a very common thing. No, I mean, I have, you know, a number of friends and even family who seem to be compulsive apologizers. Yeah. Well, like, apparently the whole country of Canada is <laughs> very apologetic, so maybe they're all on the codependency spectrum. I mean, I really, it's, it's interesting that I don't use mm-hmm. that. I mean, cause I've used so many other things, but maybe just because I am just quicker at lining myself That's up right. <laughs> preemptively before yeah. even, I right. even need to get to an apology. It's a just moment like, where apology might be. Yeah. I'm already on the same page. I've already mm-hmm. made myself on the same page. So yeah. there's nothing. You're so good for, you're so good at compliance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need-
We should clarify something here about breaking the powerlessness habit. We are not suggesting that the opposite is true, that you or somebody is all-powerful in every situation. Right. Really, in in every situation, it's going to be a mix, kind of having some power and control and also being subject to forces that are beyond my control. So like in the work example I gave, where I told my coworker that I wasn't going to take her calls anymore, she had some power over me in that she could have called my boss and complained and possibly even got me fired. But I had power as well. One, I'm a white male. That gives me some power in this country that many people don't have. And I have been with this company for many years, and I'm considered a valuable worker. And I work in a field where I can pretty easily get another comparable job. So when we're talking about breaking the powerlessness habit, that's the kind of calculation that we're encouraging to not just default in every situation, especially interpersonal ones, to a posture of powerlessness, Mm -hmm. not just assume that you have no power to, to make changes and to recognize the fear and anxiety that comes up in those types of situations is not a true signal. Mm -hmm. It's a trauma response. You are being thrown back to a time when you were more powerless. Yeah. This, this whole thing actually reminds me of uh, the serenity prayer. If you've ever heard of that, they use it in AA. Um, It says, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. The funny thing for me is, I always struggled with that saying mostly because I never got the wisdom part. <laughs> I mean, I like, how was I supposed to know the difference between something I can control or not control? Cause really what it came down to is I didn't feel as though I had the power to change anything, even if I could really anything at all. Yeah. So I just defaulted to the first one. I just accepted everything. Right. Like we explored in the previous episode, you wrote stories to help you do that. Mm-hmm. Either it was a story to make the situation appear out of your control, yeah. even if, if you did have some power in it, so that you could justify accepting bad treatment yeah, for right. yourself. Exactly. Or it was a story about the situation, that the situation or the treatment of you wasn't actually that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I saw the whole world through a lens of powerlessness, basically. Codependency, this collection of mental, emotional, linguistic, behavioral habits that had helped me to survive my childhood abuse ended up distorting every relationship in my life. Most importantly, my relationship to myself. The work that I've done and the work that I will continue to do is really about developing that wisdom, this this wisdom to know the difference, really the wisdom to see things as they really are. It takes a level of self-awareness that I just didn't have, or at least I was actively denying myself because knowledge about certain things just made me feel unsafe. But I've come to find that ignorance is definitely not bliss. <laughs> no kidding. And along with that self-awareness has come this big picture clarity that you had been avoiding all those years too, including the types of relationships that you want to have in your life. Yeah. So in our next episode, we'd like to kind of flip the script a little bit and explore what it can be like for the other people, those who are in relationships with people with codependent behaviors. So I will be sharing my experiences about loving a codependent mind. Mm -hmm. And we hope you can join us for that episode. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram by searching Codependent Mind. And we encourage you to leave a rating or comment on whatever platform you listen. Mm -hmm.